Good evening and welcome once again to another episode of the Friday Night Parkdale Special. I'm your host Joyrider coming to you live from the Dollhouse in downtown Toronto with my feline co-hosts Chatty G, Silent J, and Floofmaster Toby. And this is episode 91. Welcome to 2022, everyone. When last we talked about concept albums, we left off at the end of the 1970s. Does that mean we're going into the 1980s this week, you ask? Nay, I say. To quote Huey Lewis, we're going back in time. But why, I can hear you wondering, didn't we talk about concept albums going all the way back to the 1940s? We did. But here's the thing. We talked about concept albums in country, jazz, pop, and rock. But there's an umbrella genre I didn't even touch on, and oh boy, are you in for a treat tonight. Post-World War II, there was a sense of hope and optimism, and people looked to the skies and began to dream about space, the final frontier. Everything began to be colored with this excitement of the possibility of going to Mars or the moon or meeting little green men. Appliances, cars, food, TV shows, all were shaped by this zeitgeist. And so was music, and it was called Space Age Pop. As with so many things that seem to explode out of the collective unconscious all at once, it's difficult, if not impossible, to pin down the beginnings of Space Age Pop. There's no one artist or album that can be pointed to and said, yep, that was the first. Like Athena, it sprung fully formed from the head of man and was its own wonderfully weird thing for about a decade between the mid-50s and mid-60s. And its influences are vast. It incorporates elements of calypso and lounge music, bits of jazz and big band and instruments like theremins. And I wasn't kidding when I said space-age pop is an umbrella genre. The most authoritative site on it subdivides the genre into seven separate subgenres. We're not going to get into those subgenres tonight. After all, our primary focus this evening is still concept albums. But you can be sure we'll be back here again for a deeper dive. So, while... A lot of people say that the mid-50s is the beginning of space-age pop. It really starts to come into its own towards the end of the 1950s, and the themes become clearer. It's not just experimental for the sake of experimental. People are trying to tell stories through the music. And one of the most voluminous producers of music during this time was Juan Garcia Esquivel. If you look at the charts for a space age pop between mid 50s to mid 60s, I think he has at least four albums in the top 10. It's impressive. So we're going to get started with. Esquivel's Four Corners of the World. From that album, from 1958, this is Esquivel's Blue Danube. Thank you. 
Up next, we have another one from Four Corners of the World. But this one isn't a standard that has been stirred up with the flavor of Space Age pop. This appears to be one of Esquivel's own. It's called April in Portugal. You can see why it doesn't really qualify as jazz. There's a lot going on that uh, definitely has that feel, but it doesn't take itself quite so seriously. Up next, still in Four Corners of the World, this is Esquivel's In a Persian Market. Thank you. 
few little facts about Juan Garcia Esquivel before we go to the last track from Four Corners of the World. He was born in Mexico on January 20th of 1918 and lived into his 80s. He passed away actually in 2002, so not that long ago, and he's actually considered the king of the genre. The last track from 1958's Four Corners of the World, this is Esquivel's El Caro del Sol, Venetian Love Song. I should be wearing a hobble skirt, a cone bra, and fruit on my head listening to that music. Up next, we have another of the biggies. Our next artist is Les Baxter, who was born in Texas in 1922. And the subgenre of space age pop known as Exotica is actually attributed to this gentleman. From his album, Space Escapade, which also came out in 1958, we've got a track called Moonscape. Mm-hmm. 
The sci-fi and fantasy themes really started to take hold in the late 50s as well. And I've no doubt that that is in part as a result of the space race, which had begun in earnest in late 1957 with the USSR launching both Sputnik 1 and Sputnik 2 in October and November respectively. Sputnik 2 was the one that had Laika on board. Laika was a stray dog found on the streets of Moscow and it's believed that she was either part husky or Samoyed and part rat terrier. She was not a very big dog but that was preferable for the purposes of the Russian scientists. The capsule wasn't very big, and they felt that a stray dog would be better suited than a more domesticated one to the rigors of space travel. They didn't actually account for how to get her back safely, so the story doesn't have a very happy ending at all. But Laika was a very good dog, and Look at the pictures of her. Don't look at the rest of the story. People are awful. Next up from 1958's Space Escapade, this is Les Baxter's Mr. Robot.
next from Space Escapade is Les Baxter's Winds of Sirius. In addition to writing a lot of exotica, he also did a lot of soundtracks for both horror movies and beach party films, which may be the same thing depending on your perspective. Our last track from 1958's Space Escapade, this is Les Baxter's Saturday Night on Saturn.
Our next artist is named Jimmy Haskell, and he was originally born Sheridan Perlman in Brooklyn in 1926. So it's likely that he changed his name to avoid the anti-Semitism of the time. And he ended up having a career that spanned 60 odd years. He was involved in a number of film scores, television scores, and did a lot of arrangements for pretty famous musicians throughout the 60s and 70s, including Neil Diamond, Elvis Presley, the Everly Brothers, Blondie, Simon and Garfunkel, and Chicago. The guy, he had a lot going on. From his 1959 album called Countdown, this is his track, Rockin' in the Orbit. Next up, we have a more laid-back groove. This is Jimmy Haskell's Moon Mist. Bye. 
next up from Countdown. This is We Get Messages. exploration of sound he seems to go through a number of genres next up from countdown this is jimmy haskell's moonlight cha-cha-cha Oh, 
song from 1958's Countdown. This is Jimmy Haskell's Asteroid Hop. next musician is Russell Garcia, who was another gentleman who was quite prolific and one of the biggies for sure. He was involved in a number of soundtracks for movies such as The Time Machine, Atlantis, The Lost Continent, and also worked on television shows like Rawhide and Laredo. From his album Fantastica, which is a bit like Holtz Planets, except with a theremin, this is Russ Garcia's Volcanoes of Mercury. Bye. 
I'm honestly quite curious to know what uh, they used to make that bubbling sound. It's quite good. While the original track lineup was not in the order of the planets, I want to play it in the order of the planets because that's how I roll. So up next from Fantastica, this is Russ Garcia's Venus.
next up we have the red planet and from russ garcia this is the red sands of mars Next in our planetary lineup, this is The Monsters of Jupiter.
Next, we visit the Rings of Saturn from Fantastica. This is Russ Garcia's The Lost Souls of Saturn.
Ross Garcia was an interesting and complicated man. He was actually a World War II veteran and, quoting now, I fought in the Battle of the Bulge and vowed that if I ever got out of it alive, I was going to dedicate myself to world peace. So in 1966, seven years after the album we've been listening to, he decided to leave music and sail to the Pacific Ocean and he joined the Baha'i Faith and ended up doing a lot of music for them. He ended up conducting his own birthday concert on his 95th birthday. The last track that we're going to be listening to from his 1959 album Fantastica is called Frozen Neptune.
next artist is another who was hugely notable during this period, particularly for his work with Columbia Records. And among others, he worked with Tony Bennett, Robert Goulet, Barbara Streisand, Percy Faith, Sarah Vaughan, Harry Belafonte. However, he actually died quite young at uh, 55 from an undiagnosed aneurysm. His biggest album was actually a recording for The Twilight Zone. It's been out of print for a very long time, of course, and was never reissued either on hard copy format or digitally. Apparently quite desirable as a collectible as a result. I'm very curious to go find it myself. So, in addition to typical instrumentation of the time, there were also some electronic instruments, and quoting from the liner notes, exotic instruments that seem to have been invented for and even in the Twilight Zone, including the Martineau, the Ondioline, and an entire spectrum of percussion instruments. So, from Marty Manning's The Twilight Zone, this is the title track from 1960. I found a really fun review of this album online, and I want to read it, or at least part of it, to you at this point. Manning's Twilight Zone LP definitely has its moments, I'll give it that. Both the title track and The Unknown are highlights, employing wordless female vocalizing and establishing an appropriately mysterious mood. 
Unfortunately, the album also contains tracks that utterly shatter the mood. Faraway Places starts out like a xylophone factory on crack, The Sorcerer's Apprentice is relentlessly cutesy, and Night on Bald Mountain, which we'll get to in a moment, is just plain repellent. Whose idea was it to sprinkle human screams throughout? The album is schizophrenic in its arrangement, ultimately an exercise in frustration. But we're going to keep listening to it, because I love The Twilight Zone, and this amuses me to no end. So up next, from 1960s The Twilight Zone, this is Marty Manning's Forbidden Planet. up from the Twilight Zone album. This is Marty Manning's You Stepped Out of a Dream. Thank you. 
haven't been able to pinpoint the exact name of the author, but the blog is called My Life in the Shadow of the Twilight Zone. And uh, up next, we have one of his favorite tracks from this album. And then subsequent to that, the one he hated the most. Yay! This is Marty Manning's The Unknown. one of the issues with a sub-genre entitled exotica is its exoticism and its fetishization of various cultures and it's a little racist and gross but it is a product of its time uh there's no denying that so up next the song that our reviewer hated the most on the Twilight Zone album from 1960. This is Marty Manning's Night on Bald Mountain. Let's listen, shall we? Thank you. 
think our reviewer was being too harsh. Yes, it's uneven, but it's a lot of fun in its weirdness. It's unapologetically strange. And I thought the screams were a perfect addition. Now we're going to go back to Russell Garcia. I wasn't kidding when I said he was one of the biggies. I mentioned earlier that he did a soundtrack for Atlantis, The Lost Continent, and we're going to listen to a couple tracks from that album. First up is his track, Mermaid. Having never seen the movie that this music comes from, I have to say it's incredibly evocative and I think that piece Mermaid might be one of my favorites that we've listened to so far. Up next from Atlantis, The Lost Continent from 1961, this is Russell Garcia's Lost Slash Hallucinations. 
primarily what we've been listening to tonight is called Exotica and Space Age Bachelor Pad music. And my favorite image of the Space Age Bachelor Pad music subgenre is basically if George Jetson was a single dude, the kind of music that he would play in his pad. Up next, still in Atlantis, this is Russell Garcia's title track, Atlantis. but I feel like that one evokes more of a Western feel than an underwater city. Although maybe I'm not seeing it through the right eyes if it was the camera panning up over the, I'd say landscape, but that's clearly not the right word. The skyline, that's still not the right word. You know what I mean, the, the line of buildings arising from beyond the um, horizon. Anyway, this one I had to include because it's well, the title made me laugh. Last track from Russell Garcia's soundtrack for Atlantis the Lost Continent. This is Fight with Giant.
again evocative, if perhaps bombastic. Back into space now, and we are going to look at an album by Frank Comstock called Project Comstock, Music from Outer Space. The first track we're going to listen to, we're going to hear another version of it later, so bear that in mind as you're listening to this one. This is Frank Comstock's Stella by Starlight. next from that same album project comstock this is on the dark side of the moon and don't get your hopes up it really doesn't sound anything like pink floyd i I checked
Now, Frank Comstock was originally trained as a trombonist and worked in a lot of big bands, but as that became less popular, he started working in scoring for movies, and he did scores for scores of movies, like literally dozens. I'm not kidding. Uh, the list is incredible. He's not even credited in about half of what he had done. He worked with people like uh, Will Rogers, Robert Mitchum, uh, Doris Day, Merv Griffin, Joan Crawford, Frank Sinatra, John Wayne, uh, Anne-Margaret, Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau, Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Julie Andrews. Oh, and Barbara Streisand and Robert Mitchum. He also did a bunch of work for Disney and their theme parks, which is where he probably got the rights to do his version of this next song from Project Comstock from 1962. This is Frank Comstock's version of When You Wish Upon a Star. Next, we are still looking at space-themed albums from Dick Hyman and Mary Mayo. 
This is... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> From the album Moongas, this is the title track, Moongas. have a suspicion that Mary Mayo was not the first woman who was involved in this sound. It's worth noting that she was the first credited uh, within the actual artist name as being a key part of the sound. Up next, still in 1962's Moongas, this is Dick Hyman and Mary Mayo, which is a very Irish name, by the way. Their track, Made of the moon. Thank you. 
A few little details about Mary Mayo from that incredible resource I found, spaceagepop.com. Mary Mayo was best known for the vocals that she did on this album with Dick Hyman, which came out in 1963. Not all of the vocals on the album are wordless, but what is remembered best are the vocals that she does, which sounds a lot like a theremin. She actually had a four octave range and got started in North Carolina just at the end of World War II with a big band that was very similar to the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Up next, remember earlier I played a track for you called Stella by Starlight and I said remember this track because we're going to listen to another version of it later? Well, later is now. This is Dick Hyman and Mary Mayo's Stella by Starlight. A sidebar about Richard Hyman before we move on. 
He was born in New York City in 1927, was trained as a classical pianist by his maternal uncle, and in addition to playing space-age pop, he also played jazz, swing, and stride piano, one of my favorites, and he is still alive. Up next, we have our last album for the evening. This is Ferrante and Teichkers, Music to Read James Bond by, from 1964, and this is their version of the James Bond theme. track of the night this is gold finger
Well, that's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to have you share some of your week with me. If you'd like to support the show, go to the FNPS.com. All the social media links are at the top right, including my coffee link and the show's Patreon link. Patrons get access to my scratch pad, as well as early notice of bonus shows and some fun merch. And in the coming weeks, I'll be announcing a patron-only mini-series, which is going to be a lot of fun. So keep an eye out for that. Whether short-term or long-term support, your coins help me pay for hosting, streaming, and new tunes to keep the show both fresh and on the air. There's also a suggestion box on the website, so if you have show ideas, drop them in there. I look forward to hearing them. As always, be well and stay safe, and we'll see you next week. Have a good one.